The Holy Gospel of our Savior, Jesus Christ, according to John. Glory to you, Lord Christ. The Passover of the Jews was near, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple, he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and the money changers seated at their tables. Making a whip of cords, he drove all of them out of the temple, both the sheep and the cattle. He also poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. He told those who were selling the doves, take these things out of here. Stop making my father's house a marketplace. His disciples remembered that was written, zeal for your house will consume me. The Jews then said to him, what sign can you show us for doing this? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews said to them, This temple has been under construction for 46 years, and you will raise it up in three days. But he was speaking of the temple of his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. This gospel is one of those that can be challenging for us to interpret and to understand. It's one that can lend itself to problematic interpretations, especially between Jewish and Christian relations. For many, it is one we are accustomed to hearing in terms of how those in Jesus's time were failing to worship God as they should. This is not entirely wrong, but it's also not entirely correct. We have to situate this gospel in the context of when it's being written and who it's being written for. Jesus is speaking internally as a Jew to other Jews, not as an outsider to a group of people he is not connected with, but rather as one deeply embedded in the faith with a deep stake in how they worship and how they do that well. Jesus is critiquing those within his own community to call them not away from one practice, but back into a fuller, more realized practice of being in relationship with God. It is comforting to hear that the debate about how to worship correctly isn't exactly new. We can get caught up in our Christian communities about how we used to pray versus how we should pray now, what devices we should be using, which prayers, which bulletins set up in style, how we should gather in our sanctuary, how the altar should be set, what color should we use for what season? Should it be right one or right two? Should we kneel or should we stand? These debates are nothing new. I take comfort in that because it can feel sometimes when we have to adjust or shift the way we worship or pray or try something new that we could be shaking some foundation of our church that could topple the whole thing over. The truth is the church has always been changing. We've always been experimenting with new ways of praying or being together. 
And we've been debating since the beginning of time how to do it correctly and how to do it well. Our worship has pieces of how it would have looked in the various early days of Christianity. But more than anything, what we do does not look like how they worshiped in the early Christian church. Certainly this year has broken us a bit of that obsession with doing things correctly or rightly. We've had to pivot and worship in a way that is completely foreign to all of us. And yet today, we are celebrating one year of worshiping together online. I don't know if that's really something we wanna be celebrating. It's actually something we probably mourn, that we haven't been together, that we haven't been able to pray in the familiar ways. But there's a resilience born of seeing what can happen after a year of praying online. It has highlighted what we miss. It has made us more adaptable and more flexible and helped us connect to the heart of what it is that makes church, church. We are always changing and addressing how to be in relationship with God. Amy Jill Levine, who is a well-known Jewish scholar of Christian texts who I've taught on and preached about frequently, of this particular text interprets it not as Jesus saying that sacrificial acts are wrong, which is what some people have interpreted this text as, right? Jesus is driving out those who are selling sacrificial animals, and it's been used as a way to critique the Jewish people for being too obsessed with money because he's pouring out the coins. All of that is really degrading to Jewish practices and Jewish beliefs. We don't want to characterize the Jewish people as being obsessed with money or that their way of worshiping was particularly wrong. So what exactly is happening? Jesus is critiquing, as Amy Jo Levine suggests, Levine suggests, not that they have sacrificial acts or are exchanging money for animals for sacrifice, but rather giving a larger critique of these particular people in this particular way, that their lives are not embodiments of the holy commandments and the way in which we are called to act seven days a week. She points to the idea that these folks are ones who are holding up an image of faithfulness on the day of the Sabbath and around worship but that their, sec their lives outside of the Sabbath in the secular world don't reflect their beliefs and their practices. Jesus is calling them to be the faithful people of God, not just on this day in the way in which it helps them support their families and, and grow their wealth or uh, to appear to be holy, but to truly be holy seven days a week inside and outside of worship. It's interesting that we hear this gospel paired with the Ten Commandments. It points to the way in which we are constantly trying to learn how to be the holy people of God and how to worship God well. The Ten Commandments name the, the, the need for us to keep the Sabbath. And yet it also names all these other things that we are called to do, not just on the Sabbath, but on every day of the week. In many ways, our scriptures today are pointing us to how do we live as faithful people in the entirety of our lives, to draw ourselves away from just how do we worship here well, but how do we be Christian 
even when we're not in this Zoom space or in this sanctuary or in these pews. This is easier said than done. To be Christian and to live our Christian ideals inside and outside of our houses of worship, to weave that faith into every aspect of our lives is incredibly difficult. Scott Gunn, who uh, is a priest and uh, oversees Forward Movement, which is a publishing company with the, uh, the, of the Episcopal Church, and Bishop Michael Curry, presiding Bishop Michael Curry, spoke in a podcast about the way of love, which is um, a rule of life that presiding Bishop Curry has set out for the Episcopal Church. Uh, the way of love points us to the ways in which we follow Jesus. And they described it in their podcast as the need to have a Jesus-shaped life and how difficult it is to do that. We are Christian inside and outside of these walls. Every aspect of our lives intersects with our faith because our faith is a foundation for how we interact with the world how we interact with our neighbors, with our friends and our family, how we interact with justice issues and political issues. I know, and I've heard it in this community, that it is difficult to hear things of the secular world in this space. Because when we start to talk about justice and outreach work, it can feel as though we're talking about politics. It can feel divisive, and polarizing. It puts our hackles up. But the truth is, even though our politics and our work in the world has been politicized, at the root of it, each of us is coming to it as a Christian. And we should, as we encounter these questions about how our world is run, how we care for one another in this country or in our city, that each of us should be driven by our Christian values and beliefs in all aspects of our life, even in the political ones. And the issues that have been politicized are actually deeply spiritual issues of how we care for our neighbor and how we love one another as God loves us. Jesus does not allow us to keep the status quo. Jesus constantly calls us into space to be uncomfortable, unsettled, and to live into new ways of being. We are being encouraged and called and nudged and pushed in many ways to be Christian even when it is uncomfortable, to look at the way in which our faith and how we pray and how we live in the world intersects and comes together so that we are Christian every day of the week. Perhaps we spend less time focused on how to kneel or stand correctly, or at what point we should sing what song, and be more concerned with how our actions outside of these walls live into the basic ways in which God has called us to be God's people, to care for one another, to uphold the commandments, and to love one another as Christ so deeply loves us. It is because Christ loves us and loves our neighbors that he calls us to be so incredibly uncomfortable, to challenge the power in the world and to exist, pray, and be 
in new and unsettling ways. Being Christian does not always mean being comfortable, but it does mean bringing about the kingdom of God to do the work that allows all of us to experience the peace, the prosperity, and the love that God has for all of God's children. Amen.